podcast informs listeners that the views, thoughts, and opinions expressed solely belong to the host and not necessarily to their employer or any other group of individuals. It is not a research report. It is not a recommendation to buy or sell any security. It is for informational purposes only and should not be construed otherwise. We will read Chapter 4, Technical versus Fundamental Analysis, from Stanley Kroll's book, Dragons and Bulls, Profitable Investment Strategies for Trading Stocks and Commodities. Okay, I will just read this verbatim. First of all, some definitions. Technical analysis is based on the actual behavior of the market as expressed by price, volume, and size of the short interest for securities trading and open interest for futures. Technicians rely on the action of the market through the use of charts and technical indicators to help determine when to buy, to sell, or to stand aside. Fundamental analysis is based on an analysis of the economic factors underlying the stock or commodity. It seeks to determine the basic causes of price change and to evaluate whether a stock or commodity is overpriced, underpriced, or fairly priced as rooted in economic factors such as earnings, dividends, price earnings, and other pertinent ratios, plus various balance sheet items for securities. And production or crop size, carryover from the previous year demand in a coming year, and competitive supply for commodities. The best way to introduce this important subject is with a story, a true one. My friend Tony, who was one of the major floor brokers in the New York Mercantile Exchange, and I were sailing on the waters of Long Island Sound, New York. It was a hot, windless summer afternoon, and we had been drifting along for half an hour, waiting for the anticipated 2 o'clock southerly wind to pick up and send us scurrying down Long Island Sound for an exhilarating afternoon of sailing. Neither of us was an avid conversationalist, and we had exhausted our normal topics, which is probably why we got involved in the conversation I'm about to relate. Now, all of my friends know my cardinal rule that I never want to hear anyone's market opinion, nor do I care or give my own. But here we were all of a sudden talking about the heating oil market. Actually, we were not talking. It was Tony talking and me listening. I'll give you some very confidential information, he said. But you must promise not to tell anyone. Look, I replied, I'm not interested in your tip, so please keep it to yourself. I thought that would discourage him. Wrong. It didn't take him more than a minute to recover from that mild rebuke, and he started again. Be serious, he said. I will let you in on it, but do not tell anyone that I tipped you. He was really determined, I thought. It must be something really special, and it sure was. Sheikh Yamani will shortly announce that the Saudis will double their oil production. A long pause ensued. So what was the best I could respond? But Tony was persistent. So what? Is that all you can say? Don't you realize the significance of this news? When the oil minister of the world's leading oil producer is about to announce that he will be doubling production, the market is sure to drop by $20, maybe even $30 overnight. There's a fortune to be made here and I have just dropped it in your lap. Besides, all the big floor traders have gone heavily short. I've heard all I care to hear. Besides, who wanted to have this nonsense ruin what would soon be a great afternoon of sailing? 
Look, I retorted, I don't know very much about the Saudis or their oil minister, or about oil production and its effect on heating oil prices. And I certainly don't know, nor do I care about the big boys and what they do or don't do in the market. Actually, I had heard so many big boy stories through the years that I was totally immune to them. What I do know, though, is that this market is now heading sideways, but with a bullish bias, and in my opinion, looks like it wants to break out on the upside and turn into a roaring bull market. So can we please talk about something else now? Well, I finally prevailed, although I had never seen this unflappable professional trader look so stunned. But my gambit rescued the day, and the balance of the afternoon turned out just fine. Afternoon's conversation was very much on my mind that evening, and upon returning home, I was at no time setting out my charts and technical studies for a careful re-examination of the heating oil market. Perhaps there was something in this scenario that I had overlooked or misinterpreted, and careful double-check seemed like a good idea under the circumstance. It was July 1985, the heating oil market had been locked within a tight trading range between 70 and 73, basis the, 7, the Feb 1986 future. Although the majority of traders were heavily short, some of the objective computer systems had already signaled to cover shorts and go long on July 10. Now I was waiting for a close of over 74 and the strong market action told me that this breakout was likely to be imminent to tell me full bore onto the long side with the expectation of major upwards move in the offing. Let the big boys and their hapless followers exchange tips and gossip regarding Mr. Yamani's anticipated announcement and its possible effect on the market. As far as I was concerned, I was anticipating a bull market period. Yamani either would or would not make the announcement and even if it did, the bearish news was probably already been discounted in a market price. And the announcement, if there ever was to be one, would be, in my opinion, the final ray of hope for the trapped bears prior to their being massacred by the strong and rampaging bulls. In short, my technical studies told me that we were once again about to see the classic bear trap in action. Discretion being the better part of valor, I opted to sit out this bear tip from the safety and serenity of my long position in February heating oil. This was fortunate for me because following a few more weeks of sideways price action, during which time the big boys and their followers had ample time to get further committed on the short side, the market on Friday, July 26 closed strong just below 74 for February. That did it. The trap had been sprung on the unfortunate bears and following one last gas price, be brief price reaction, the market commenced an impressive rally that ultimately carried some $0.16 cents equal to $6,700 per contract. What was even more amazing was the fact that Sheikh Yamani did in fact announce that he would be doubling oil production. Tony was at least right about that part of the tip and predicted a sharp drop in prices. Market, however, is the ultimate authority and was not impressed with this bearish tip. In the frantic race towards higher levels, it barely stumbled over the oil minister's epic announcement. This must have shocked the intrepid and greatly pained shorts who in the end lost tens of millions of dollars due to their blind acceptance of a bare tip in a bull market. There is a very clear-cut lesson to this story. Beware of tipsters and other financial gossips 
bearing free market information or well-intentioned advice. And when the fundamental and technical conclusions are at, at odds, you disregard sound objective technical conclusions or hang on to anti-trend market positions at extreme peril. At all times, it is necessary to focus on objective analysis of market trends and high-volume breakouts from existing trends. Successful operators have trained themselves to ignore, admittedly that's not easy, the hysteria and sounds of alarm that accompanies the plethora of supposedly informed market pronouncements and tips. Hong Kong has some of the keeniest and most experienced traders anywhere in Asia. Hang Seng Index futures provide excellent trading opportunities and action for speculators. Yet, throughout the three years from 1991 through 1993, during a period of generally rising stock prices from a world-class bull market where prices rose from approximately 3,000 to over 12,000 C figures, traders continually probed the short side of this stunning bull market. Every time there was some bearish-sounding news in the press, every time some commentator or interviewee delivered a bearish pronouncement, especially when any British official talked about Sino-British disharmony, the market suffered a serious bout of bear attack. In fact, during late 1993, when the Hang Seng was undergoing its most violent and steep upwards move, I watched in amazement at a large office full of traders and account executives peered intently at the small TV monitor, listening to a speech by Governor Chris Patton while the market was open. During the course of the speech, every time the governor mentioned any aspect of Sino-British problems at the negotiating table, a flood of long liquidation and new short selling engulfed the market. Traders were apparently willing to totally overlook the ongoing trend of the market, which was clearly one way, up. In fact, over the course of several months of an upward trending market, I heard dozens of pronouncements from brokers and traders that they were selling the Hang Seng for a number of diverse reasons. Number one, the market looked overpriced. Number two, market was due for a big correction. They'd received a bare tip that prices were about to turn down. The principal reason for rising prices had been massive buying by a big New York investment house, which would shortly reverse to short and take the market down again. In reality, the market was in a clear-cut and distinct uptrend, and there was no viable objective reason to play it short. A large body of speculators had succumbed to a combination of undisciplined wishful thinking and a desire to be short in the market. They had liquidated long positions prematurely because prices were too high, so they would now prove their acumen by getting aboard the short side. The great quantity of red ink that accompanied these short positions was additional evidence, as if traders needed such additional proof that trying to pick off tops or bottoms against a strongly entrenched bull market trend is invariably dangerous to one's financial and health being. The absolute need for a disciplined and objective approach to speculation, whether it be in stocks, commodities, or currencies, is a recurring theme of this book. We've all had experience of relaxing our vigilance, of ignoring the real technical foundation, and direction of the market, which is generally clear if we're willing to see it. Results are uniformly predictable, unsuccessful trading, and a string of consistent losses. Unfortunately, hope versus fear, impatience, greed, and above all, a lack of discipline are the major impediments to successful operations. 
By way of an example, in the summer of 1984, Chicago grain markets were in the process of breaking down from broad sideways trends into clear-cut downtrends. Most of the reliable long-term trend-following computer trading systems had turned down, as had most objective chart techniques. This was confirmed as though further confirmation was required when the Commodity Research Bureau Grains Futures Index broke down through the 230 level. Yet, the reality of this developing bear trend so strongly entrenched that it persisted for two more years was generally obscured by a steady barrage of bullish stories, articles in the business press about poor U.S. growing weather and its damage to crops, unprecedented Soviet grain shortages which would lead to huge purchases of the world grains and reduced Canadian crops. So one has to ask, why were the grain markets sliding into a tenacious downtrend that was to last nearly two years? A parallel situation was experienced in the metals markets commencing around mid-1984. Most of the market projections, economic analysis, brokerage advisories had predicted improving prices and had clearly recommended the long side of the metals markets. Long side indeed, and here again the CRV Precious Metals Index tells the same story. Prices poised on the brink of yet another downleg, soon to be confirmed by actual market action during the relentless bear markets of the early 1980s. Digesting such a steady stream of bullish pronouncements could hardly fail to give one a bullish bias. However, an objective and pragmatic view of the technical factors clearly showed that we were entering a bearish scenario. Successful speculators with a disciplined and pragmatic approach to trend analysis, utilizing a viable trend-following strategy, would have ignored all that market gossip and have focused instead on a sound technical analysis. In so doing, they would have either scored good profits on the short side or at least have avoided the long side and its attendant red ink. In summary, the frequent divergence between what one observes in an objective technical analysis and what one reads in the so-called news and analysis seems to provide a near-permanent feeling of ambivalence to many speculators. For example, it's generally difficult for the speculator to operate in the currency markets on the basis of fundamental expectations or market gossip. Following weakness in currencies some time ago, major New York financial papers noted the U.S. dollar surprised traders with a show of strength yesterday that stemmed in part from the detention of a Polish labor leader. The Deutsche Mark was weak, which was attributed to the fact that German banks are major creditors of Poland. However, the yen happened to be strong that day, so the same article deftly labeled its strength as a result of Japan's isolation from Europe. However, had the yen declined or had the Deutsche Mark advanced, you can be certain that an appropriately worded rational would have been created and disseminated. When I find myself becoming excessively confused or agitated by an excess of such obvious contradictions and contrived after-the-fact announcements and quasi-analysis, my response is to seclude myself from the so-called news. I focus instead on a detailed and pragmatic analysis of technical factors and indicators, trying to seek order amongst the chaos. Such an interval is always best conducted in seclusion, away from interruptions and well-intentioned advisors. There seems to be a correlation between isolation and tranquility 
of the session and the clarity and quality of the analysis. That's it. That's chapter four of Stanley Crawl's Dragons and Bulls. Talks a lot about gossip tips and so forth.